A little while back, uh, 27-year-old Benjamin Maloney went bushwalking in Tasmania. Uh, he was particularly keen, you see, to do the South Coast Trek, which is, a t- which is a walk that takes about 10 days. But after 14 days, Benjamin still hadn't arrived at his destination. People began to get a little bit worried. After 21 days, no Benjamin. After 28 days, still no Benjamin. Benjamin, you see, had decided to wander off the path to have a look at a few things and he had gotten himself hopelessly and utterly lost. So lost that evidently he just sat around for days on end, disorientated, confused, getting more and more hungry. And after a gruelling five weeks, Benjamin Maloney heard some voices, crawled through some thick bush and stumbled back onto the path and into the arms of some bushwalkers. In the words of one of the bushwalkers, he was pretty pleased to see us. Now I'm telling you about Benjamin because today, this Easter Sunday, I want you to think about whether or not um, you might be lost a little bit. Not lost in the sense of a bushwalk, but lost in the sense of just, just living this life. You know, in all the running around you're doing, all the obligations you're juggling, all the work commitments, the bills, the housework, the running the kids everywhere, the parties, the sport, the schoolwork, the friends, in just the, you know, just the stuff of life. Do you reckon you might be a bit lost, a bit confused? Do you actually know where your life is going? Uh, are you aware of why you are here Do you have a sense of direction, a sense of purpose? Have you got this lingering feeling that there's more to this life than this life, but you're not quite sure what it is? Where is your life heading? Because, friends, this Easter, I'd I'd like us to feel the comfort of knowing that there is a path that makes sense of this life. And what's more, there is someone standing on that path urging us to come and get on it with him. And just like Benjamin Maloney was finally rescued by following voices back to the path, we can be rescued from a directionless life. We can be rescued from being lost and far from God by following this person's voice back to the path of life. Now, it's Easter Sunday and there's no prizes for guessing that the person standing on the path is the risen Jesus Christ. And this morning I'd like us to see this by considering a psalm, Psalm 16 that Wayne just read for us, an Old Testament song which mentions the path of life and which is very clearly on the minds of the disciples after Jesus had risen from the dead on that first Easter Sunday. However, before we see why this psalm was on the minds of the disciples, it pays dividends to firstly go back and think about this psalm in its original context, in particular looking at it as a psalm by David, which is what we're told in that first little subtitle before verse 1. Psalm 16, a miktam of David. And no one's really sure what that means, a miktam. Possibly it's a musical term, reflects the mood, the tone of the song. Some have suggested that it refers to a song that has a hidden meaning in it that this is a song that bears close reading because there's a bit of a concealed story. There's a sort of disguised lesson in this one. Now, I like that. That's pretty neat. Certainly true of the psalm. 
don't know whether it's particularly true, uh, of the term, but for the moment I just want you to note that this psalm is not just by anyone, it's a song of David. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, apart from you I have no good thing. It's a song that opens with King David sounding like he's in a little bit of trouble, doesn't he? The very fact that he's asking God to keep him safe sounds like something might be up. But but please notice that there's no sense of panic here. Yes, he's asking for safety. It's the only thing he in fact asks in the whole psalm. But it's a request born out of confidence in God. Uh, David expects God to help him because God is his place of refuge. Uh, God is his place of safety. Keep me safe, Lord, for in you... I take refuge. Not a bad place to take refuge. God of all the universe, nothing's going to trouble you when when he's looking after you. In fact, so confident of God's protection is David that it causes him to now have confidence both about his present circumstances and his future circumstances. Verse 3. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. Now you see... God had promised King David that he would be the king over Israel. He would be the king over the saints of God, as it were. And so the very existence of the saints are a delight to King David's heart. He looks out over over the Israelites under his care. He looks out from from the palace window to all the people that he can see. And their very existence is a testimony to God's goodness to him. God had promised him the kingdom of Israel... And he looks out the window and there it is. Indeed, verse 5, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. The emphasis is moving from the people under David's care to the land under his care. And you can almost see David now standing over a map. And just looking down at, you know, all those dotted lines that mark out the borders, the borders of the promised land that God had promised would be his. And again, the the very existence that the borders are there and in place, it's a sign that his confidence in God is not misplaced. It's again an expression of God's goodness. God had promised to establish David's kingdom and it's happened. And it's not just people, it's land. No wonder he he just praises God. Verse 7, I'll praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Friends, here is a man on a solid path in life. Here is a man on a path that is not going to be washed away in the storms of life. Here is a man on a path that will not be blown away by the winds of change in life. For God has established this path. But the confidence doesn't just end in him rejoicing about his present circumstances. He goes on to rejoice and feel secure about his future as well. And so, because did you notice at verse 9, there's a bit of a change in perspective here. There's a movement into things that will happen into the future. Verse 9 Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. There's an eye to the future here, isn't there? It's an expression of what God's going to do into the future, what he will do in looking after David. In fact, he's so confident about God looking after him 
that he's actually starting to say some pretty weird things, if you care to think about it. You will not abandon me to the grave. You will not let your Holy One see decay. Now what's David talking about there? Uh, is he saying that God will keep him safe from his enemies because, uh, and therefore God will keep him from an untimely early death? That could make sense of the words in a poetic sort of way. But on, on the other hand, it almost sounds as if he reckons he's never going to die in the first place. But that's outrageous. Everyone knows that King David died. His body was laid in a grave and it did see decay. And if that's not enough, if you're still scratching your head over that verse, and a lot of Jews at the time did, the claims actually get a little bit more grandiose in the very next verse, verse 11. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, friends, I want you to notice they are bold claims. You have made known to me the path of life. In other words, I now know not only the path to get through this life, I know the path to get to an eternal life where God will fill me with joy and eternal pleasures. And not just anywhere, eternal pleasures at the right hand of God, that great place of prestige. Now, friends, I want you to feel the heady heights that the psalm has now climbed to. It starts with David's confidence in God. That's cool. Okay, climbs to his confidence in having a present secure kingdom that he looks out his window over. Nothing wrong with that. But then the song has just kept climbing to a confidence of not only knowing the path through life, but a path that will lead to eternal life at the right hand of God himself because God will not let his body see decay. Now, is David just getting carried away here? You know, is this the biblical equivalent of, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio standing on the bow of the Titanic, screaming, and I'm the king of the world? Is that David here? He's just getting carried away with the moment? But it's the word of God. What's being gotten out here? A lot of Jews had real troubles understanding that. And then along came Jesus. And everything changed. Especially on that first Easter Sunday when he came back from the dead. And he sat with his disciples, as we heard in Luke's Gospel, explaining to them how Moses and the prophets and the Psalms pointed to him. And and can't you picture it? Can't you see uh, the disciples combing through the Old Testament and suddenly seeing all this stuff in there in a whole new light? That that suddenly all these passages that they couldn't make sense of before suddenly make sense because Jesus is back from the dead? It's like when you buy a red car and all of a sudden you see all the other red cars on the road. Uh, The disciples, having now seen Jesus back from the dead, suddenly they see references to it all through the Old Testament in, in places like Psalm 16. Seeing that though it was a psalm written by David, it's actually a psalm written about Jesus. Come with me to Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament now. Start turning, flipping to the right. Acts chapter 2. I want us to have a brief look at the very first sermon ever preached by Peter after Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. Most of us know the scene. Um, 
The Holy Spirit has come on the disciples in a very powerful way, a very spectacular way. It's drawn a crowd and the Apostle Peter sees the opportunity and takes it, starts to tell people about Jesus. Acts 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of, the wicked, of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Jesus is back from the dead. We've seen it. And just to back it up, he's going to quote a bit of the Old Testament to show that it was always God's plan. You'll never guess the part of the Old Testament that he's going to quote you. 25. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. He's just quoted Psalm 16. It's a little different to what we heard read earlier because he's quoting from the Greek version that was popular at the time. Look what he goes on to say about it. Brothers, I tell you confidently that the patriarch David did die and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he, that is David, spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. That he, the Christ, was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body, the Christ's body, see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. There's a lot in that section. I want to make the one main point. Psalm 16 may have been written by David, but it was written about Jesus. That is what Peter is saying. And that in that psalm, as, as David was expressing his own hope in God, that somehow David got caught up by the Holy Spirit and he said things not just about himself, but about the future Christ, the future great descendant that was going to be the future ruler of, of God's people, the, the, the great descendant of David. David himself may not have fully understand the extent of what he was saying, but it was about the Christ. And Peter's point here in Acts is that this Jesus, whom you've just crucified, God has raised him up. And in so doing, has shown Jesus to be that future Christ described in this psalm. Jesus is the one who was not abandoned to the grave. Jesus is the one who was the Holy One who did not see decay. It may have been written by David. It's about Jesus. And friends, can I say that at that point, this psalm suddenly just lifts off the page. Suddenly there is a whole new dimension to this that takes our breath away because this may have been a psalm written by David about Jesus, but suddenly it's a psalm that involves us as well in, in the sense that it's a song that has relevance for us. It's a song that has ramifications and lessons for you and I. They may be not in the way we might have first thought. 
See, a lot of us read a psalm like this, don't we? Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. Many of us read it and our first impulse is to identify ourselves with the writer, the psalmist, that these are sentiments that we should have. We also should take refuge in God. We also should ask God to keep us safe. And in one sense, that's perfectly true. Other parts of Scripture would, would certainly tell us that. This part of Scripture is telling us something a little different. This part of Scripture is about God's king rejoicing in the kingdom that God has given him. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we now know that it's a psalm about Jesus. These are his words. And if you are a follower of him, you get to fit into this psalm in a most excellent way. Because when you follow Jesus, this psalm is telling you that you have a king over you who is at God's right hand and who will not be shaken. When you follow Jesus, this psalm is telling you that you are one of the saints, the glorious ones, in whom is all of Jesus' delight. When you follow Jesus, this psalm is telling you that you are one of those who live with your king in a secure kingdom, the boundaries of which have fallen in pleasant places. When you follow Jesus, this psalm is telling you that you have access to the path of life because Jesus himself has been given it and holds it. When you follow Jesus, this psalm is telling you that you too will share in the joy and the eternal pleasures of God, for that is where your king is now. That is where his kingdom lives and breathes. And when this psalm is about Jesus, it floods us with good things when you are one of his For this is a psalm, a song that paints a picture of the risen King Jesus, secure and luxuriating in the pleasures of God in an eternal kingdom, taking delight in his people. I don't know, you might be here this morning and you may not even like yourself very much. But when you are a Christian following this king, you are one of the glorious ones in whom is all his delight for all eternity. And there is wonderful comfort in that. I remember sitting in the intensive care ward of the Royal North Shore Hospital in Sydney, um, having visited a friend there. And in the waiting room, a complete stranger sat down next to me. I'd never laid eyes on this bloke before in my life. And he sat down next to me and he turned to me and simply asked, what is this life all about? Because you see, his little girl was dying in the next room. And all of a sudden, life had just robbed, been robbed of all meaning for him. As he sat there next to his little girl's bed, all the things that he thought were important no longer meant a thing. Didn't matter how far up the corporate ladder he climbed. Didn't matter what his uni grades had been. Didn't matter what his bank balance was. Didn't matter what was on telly that night. Didn't matter what his sporting team was doing over the weekend. As he sat 
next to his dying daughter, staring into that chasm of death. He now questioned everything he'd been living for. The path of life that he thought he was on had just evaporated. And he was left crawling around, lost, disorientated, looking for a better path. Death will do that to you. Death robs life of everything we think of as important. It pulls the rug from beneath. It is an obscene thing. And no matter how rich or poor or young or old or attractive or influential or popular or gifted or sporty you are, all of a sudden, death will cast its shadow across your path and suddenly your path evaporates. It's enough to make you turn to a complete stranger and ask for help. Friends, Easter Sunday tells us help has come. God has raised Jesus Christ to life. And suddenly we know that this life is played out against a much bigger backdrop than this life. Suddenly we know that God has shown Jesus to be the Holy One of Psalm 16. Jesus Christ is the King, looking out over a secure, eternal kingdom of joy and pleasure. Jesus is the King, taking deep delight in his saints. Jesus is the King who has been given the path of life and he invites us to share it with him. And it's a path which we discovered on Good Friday. It's a path that leads to forgiveness and salvation and a world-engulfing universal kingdom. And it's a path which, verse, uh, which Psalm 16 tells us leads to safety and security and joy for all eternity. It's a path that will not evaporate under the shadow of death. It's a path to Jesus, just delighting in his people. Can you imagine Benjamin Maloney having heard those voices and found the path? Can you imagine him turning around and deciding that he'd take his chances back in the scrub? That would be utter craziness. Perhaps the only thing more crazy were to not want to be part of the kingdom of the king described in this psalm. A kingdom of safety, security, joy, forever. I'll pray. Father, thank you that Jesus has risen, that he is the one in this psalm who has had the path of life made known to him, who delights in his people, who rests secure in a kingdom of joy and pleasure at your right hand. And thank you that by your goodness 
we can be part of his kingdom. Thank you that by your goodness, that when we turn and embrace and take refuge in your son Jesus as our king, that we are secure forever. Thank you. Amen.